Hold on, hold on, kids. Bring him back. I'm calling an audible. If you're a kid, come on up here. Even if you think you're a kid. Come on up, come on up. I'm seriously will not bite you more than once. Come on. All of you. You're all welcome. Come on, come on. All right. Don't play with the stuff, though. All right. So thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. We are so glad to have you here, all of you. So you look out there, look out there. Do you realize how many people love you and want to see you grow and learn about God? All of these people will care for you, and they got your back. Thank you again. You are, we are so blessed to have you guys here. Thanks a lot. Okay, head on down. You going to help me today, bud? Sure. I bet he could. Okay, you can go on down to Children's Church now. I try to make the rounds before service to catch as many people, but I usually miss these guys because they're doing stuff, so I want to catch up with them today. Well, thank you all for coming, Machias Church family, and you are the church family, and I'm so glad you're here. Hmm, this is not good. No, here it is. I got to have glasses. All right, so we are going through, as you probably know, our statement of faith. Getting back to basics, this is a football. It's an old joke. Anyway, so today we're going to be going through this one, our statement of faith, what we believe, part three. Next slide. Oh, here we go. And this is it. It's a big one. There is a lot in here. Um, yeah, it's a lot in here. Buckle up. We're going to do some talking. It's going to take a while. In the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, we believe. In his virgin birth, in his sinless life, in his miracles, in his substitutionary and atoning death through his shed blood, in his bodily resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of God, and in his personal return in power and glory. There are some verses down below. There are eight statements there that talk about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you right now, Jesus is everything. As far as you're concerned, as far as how you are, who you are, how you got where you are now, where you're going to spend eternity, Jesus is everything. Now, there's probably nothing new in that statement, in these statements that you have not heard before or don't even know. But we have to think in relationship to where we came from. Our predicament when we were all born was that we are at war with God, that we were never going to win, and our eternal destiny is that we were going to spend eternity damned, separated from God in eternal torment. That's where we all started. Every single one of us, regardless of when you came to Christ, and I came to Christ at a fairly early age, so I didn't really ever have that fear about, wow, what's going to happen next? and What's going to happen at the end of my life? I was young, but that was the reality of it. And yet, because of who we are as people, we tend to take things for granted. We tend to get callous. We tend to get a little jaded. And what is here, I'm telling you, is the greatest story ever told. 
It's life-changing. It should be changing all of us the way we think, the way we behave, the way we react to other people. The love that we have for one another and the love that we have from God emanates from the work that Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And yet it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to take for granted. It's so easy to hear these messages and say, yeah, 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 that's old stuff. I'm saved. And you are if you accepted Jesus Christ. So we're going to go through these things and we're going to look at them. But I want you to look at them. My goal is look at them as if you've never heard them before. I'm going to do some things for you. How many of you ever saw the movie Men in Black? Yes? No? Okay. Okay, so quick premise. Men in Black. There are aliens in the world. The government formed this society or this department called the Men in Black who would deal with aliens. And then when people would encounter aliens, they would help them forget. How many of you remember the flashy thing? Everybody look up here. Did it flash? Okay. Now you've all forgotten everything you know about Jesus. So we're going to start from scratch so that you can look at this with new eyes and say, yes, that's wonderful news. That's life-changing, life-giving news. Okay, you can remember that you were saved. You just forgot how it all happened. This is how it happened. This is how it happened. So our first statement, there are, so let me, let me tell you this. There are some things that we're going to be talking about. There are eight statements in this particular statement of faith uh, point, point number three. They're all to do with Jesus. But as we go through any of the doctrines or as you hear any of the truths about God, there are four questions we're going to want to be looking at. You're thinking, boy, there's eight points, four questions each. Wow, are we going to get out of here? Not anytime soon. So, first question, do I understand it? Do I understand the statement that's being made? Okay, that makes sense, right? Do I understand it? That would be important. Do I agree with it? Or do I believe it? That would be the next one. Three, um, why is it important? First of all, is it true? I forgot that one. Point number one, is it true? Because I took my glasses off, I didn't see it. So, is it true? Do I understand it? Three, do I agree with it or believe it? And four, why is it important to me? We're going to be looking at all four of those questions based on these statements in our statement of faith, point number three. Jesus is God. Is that hard to understand? Jesus is God, and we talked about that last week when we talked about the person of the Trinity and the Godhead and the three persons of the Godhead, Jesus being one. And so we have this scripture. How am I going to know, according to the first statement of faith, that this is true? What was the first statement of faith that we had? We believe in the inerrant word of God, right, as our final authority for all Faith and practice. So if I wanted to show you that this was true, what would I do? I would find it in the Bible, right? Okay, so this is one of many, many, many statements in the Bible, scriptures in the Bible that talk about Jesus being God. Jesus is God. In the beginning, John 1.1 was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very definitive. Have any problems with that one? Do you understand it? 
Okay, Jesus is God. He wasn't created by God. He wasn't kind of just here as God's emissary. He wasn't a prophet, he, he, although he was a prophet. He wasn't a teacher, but he was a teacher. But he was God. And again, we have a hard time understanding that because Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time, which we're going to see a little bit later. But this is extremely important. We're going to talk about that later. Jesus is God. No question. If you don't believe this one, you're not a Christian. So I want to touch on that just real quickly because um, there's some confusion sometimes about essential doctrine. We, we put this in our statement of faith. All of these statements in our statement of faith we call essential doctrines. But there has to be a little bit of a distinction in that. What does that mean? Because essential doctrines can mean, is this essential for me to come to salvation versus is it an essential doctrine in that it is clearly stated in Scripture. There is not controversy surrounding the meaning of it. Therefore, it is truth, and I must believe it. So we have our bullseye in the doctrine class. Come to the doctrine class. You'll see the bullseye. Things to die for, things to discuss, things to defend, and things to dismiss. And this one is in the middle because it is absolutely the truth of Scripture. And it is essential doctrine as far as my salvation. Because if I don't believe Jesus is God, I'm not being saved by the Jesus of the Bible, and therefore, I am not saved. So Jesus being God is very important. Next one. <clears throat> Jesus was born of a virgin. Okay, Jesus was born of a virgin. Hold on, Tim. How can God be born from a woman? We call that what? The Immaculate Conception. So... If we're going to look at this, let's take a look at the, at the Scripture. Is it true? Jesus was born of a virgin. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had betrothed to Jesus before they came together, before they were intimate together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, do we know the physiology of that? No. Not even going to wonder about it. Somehow, some way, I don't know, God, through his Holy Spirit, placed the child in the womb of Mary. Okay, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in here is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Jesus is God. Jesus was born of a virgin, meaning there was not man origin that created him. Oh, yeah, he was a guy, and he was born, but Joseph was really his father, and, and the Holy Spirit came and inhabited him later, but no, he wasn't really born God from a woman. No, he was. That's what it means. He was born through a woman, went through the birth canal, came out, wet himself, soiled his diaper, had to learn to talk, had to learn to walk. He was a fully God, fully man, all at the same time. Next point. Jesus lived a sinless life. Truth. How do I know it's true? Because it says so here in 1 Peter 2, 21, or actually it's 1 2, verse 21 and 22. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps, for he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So, right there it's telling me, it says in Scripture, pretty easy to understand, Jesus lived a sinful life. Now, any problems with that one? 
We're going to talk about why it's important later. But did Jesus live a sinless life? Well, uh, some people would say, yeah, I mean, he could have sinned and he probably didn't. But no, he was God. He was fully man. He was tempted never from the inside like we are with our own sinful nature. He was tempted from the outside. We saw that uh, early in his ministry when the devil took him out into the desert and tempted him. And he knew no sin ever. He was the perfect Man and the perfect sacrifice, as we will see later. Okay, next point. Jesus performed miracles. Now, Jesus did many other signs, according to John 20, 30, and 31, in the presence of his disciples. And that word for sign is semino, uh, simeon, I'm sorry, simeon in the Greek. And it means miracles, wonders, or things that are supernatural. So, now Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing it, you may have life in his name. The Bible clearly says Jesus performed miracles. We'll take a look at that and why it's important in a minute. But he did these things. He came, and we saw many, many examples in Scripture where he healed people, healed the blind, took care of their leprosy, even raised people from the dead, did some physical miracles, calmed the sea. He uh, cursed a, a fig tree, and it never bloomed again. Jesus was God and man, but because he was God and with the power of the Holy Spirit given to him in his humanity, he was able to do miracles. Okay, that is one of our points that we believe. Next point. Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross provided atonement for us. Okay, so we see this in Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we now have been justified, justified is the big word, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much now, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. This might be the biggest one of all. Think about it. Somebody died in your place. A substitutionary death provided atonement, which included two things, expiation and propitiation. Expiation meaning the penalty which you deserved and I deserved to die eternally and be separated from God was taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the propitiation was it restored the relationship with God so that we could receive all the benefits of being a Christian. Praise God. Praise God. We did nothing for that. This is Jesus Christ bought us back from sure death for eternity by his blood on the cross in our place. Understand it? Pretty plain. Next point. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We see that in Scripture many places, but here in 1 Corinthians 15, 2-4, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered, you, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. We see it in Scriptures that without resurrection there's no hope. So Christ literally resurrected from the dead. So we're going to explain the meaning, right? So we've heard lots of other theories. There are lots of theories that were put forth even at the time that Jesus uh, 
had, was raised then. Oh, he just swooned and he was revived later in the tomb. Or, well, he wasn't really dead and his apostles came and helped him once he was in the tomb. Or he was dead and they took his body away and he, he never really did rise from the dead. His body was just gone and that was the rumor that was started by the apostles. None of those are true. This is absolute essential doctrine to Christianity. Jesus, because he is God, was able to be raised from the dead. And that gives us hope for the resurrection of our own. Next point. Jesus ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. It says in Mark 16, 19, So then... The Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, so this was not something that was just a vision. This is not Jesus who was just some sort of a spirit or a specter. In his bodily form, God took him from here and raised him back up into the heavenly places so that he could be at the right hand of God for a really important purpose as far as you're concerned, which we'll talk about in a minute. But this actually happened. This was not some sort of, of a fable. This was a bunch of guys standing around after Jesus had just talked to them about going into all the world and making disciples. The next thing they know, the heavens open up, angels are there, and God raises this human being, and they watch him go. And then the angels say, what are you looking for? The same way he left, he's coming back. And that would be the next point. Jesus will return in glory to claim his children and judge the world. So it says in Matthew 25, 31 through 34, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels will come with him, then he will sit on the glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus is coming back. That's the good news. Jesus will return. Now, we haven't seen that one yet. It's a promise, but it's in Scripture. We believe it's true, and he's coming back in bodily form, and all of those who are his will be changed in a moment, those that are still alive. Those that are, have passed away before that will be resurrected from the grave, given new bodies. We will stand before God to receive our reward, and we will spend rest of eternity in a new heaven and a new earth with Christ. Those eight statements are true. I gave them to you from Scripture. Hopefully you understand the meaning of it. Now let's talk about the importance of them. So the first one, Jesus is God. In order for God's justice to be satisfied, for full payment to be made, man was totally incapable of doing it. Only God could atone for the sins of mankind and provide the ability to be restored back into the goodness of God. It was important that Jesus was God because only God could pay the price. We had nothing to bring on our own. The only way that we can have relationship with God is because God himself satisfied his justice so that we could go from being objects of God's wrath to objects of God's love and mercy and grace. Jesus was God 
because that's how it had to happen so that you could be saved. Jesus was born of a virgin. This was a demonstration of being fully God and fully man. There's no controversy then about his identity or his origin. It tells us in Scripture, no, this wasn't some sort of a, of a baby that was born by Mary and Joseph and God somehow then came down and inhabited that body uh, like an alien and said, okay, I'm going to be God for a while in this body. And that was a rumor that was being passed around. No, this was God-man together. And so that that would be clear to everyone, he was born of a virgin, a woman who had never known a man, so that there was no possibility he was of human origin totally. And this miracle of the conception happened so that God could demonstrate, I am bringing you the solution and he will be fully God and fully man at the same time. Jesus lived a sinless life. In order for us to be saved... We needed the perfect sacrifice. See, God set it up in the Old Covenant, didn't he? And he said, this is how I'm going to have it. And you're going to bring me this unblemished sacrificial lamb. And you're going to sacrifice it on the, on the atonement seat. And, I'm, and that blood will be poured there. And because of that blood, I'm going to roll your sins forward for another year. And so... Using that as a type, as a shadow of something to come, here comes Jesus. And you remember what John the Baptist said when he saw him coming? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God had given us that object lesson of the sacrificial lamb. And so Jesus needed to be that unblemished lamb. He not only was sinless because of that, but he also came and provided an example and fulfilled the old covenant completely. The only one who could ever fulfill the old covenant, which was by obedience and demanded perfection, Jesus satisfied the old covenant so he could usher in the new, which is by grace through faith. And so Jesus had to be sinless, one, because he was God, two, so he could be the perfect sacrifice, and three, so he could satisfy the terms of the old covenant and usher in the new. The next one, Jesus performed miracles. We see this in prophecy. Um, Luke 7, um, Jesus reported to the disciples, Luke 7, 18 through 22, Jesus uh, the disciples of John reported to him, I, I already said that one, and said, John, calling two disciples, he sent them to the Lord and saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? When the men had come to them, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And this was Jesus' answer. Go tell John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive their sight, that the lame will walk, that the lepers are cleansed, that the deaf are hearing, that the dead are raised, and the poor have had good news preached to them. This was a fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus would perform miracles. That was one of the reasons why it's so important. But it also demonstrated his deity, didn't it? That he was, had the ability and the power of God, of a God-man, to perform supernatural miracles. And you remember, most of his miracles are demonstrations of love when he healed people. When he raised them from the dead, when he calmed the storm to save his disciples, almost all of his miracles, not all, but most, were demonstrations of his love for the people that were with him. So Jesus performed miracles to prove that he was God. Jesus performed miracles so he could give us 
an object lesson of the healing that was to come, a total healing, a permanent healing, a healing of our soul, a healing of us spiritually. And so as, a, as an object lesson, he healed us now, but it was temporary. He cleansed them as a metaphor of their spiritual cleansing that was to come. Next one was Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, which provided atonement for us. Again, this is big. This is big, big, big. This saved us from the wrath of God so that we could experience God's love and mercy and grace. And he did it on our behalf so that we could be saved. And so now that we are saved... God has begun that process of regenerating us, which we're going to see later. And, he, and we are being restored so that all of our needs of our soul are met. We're starting to get it now. But Jesus, because of his propitiatory, propitiatory death on the cross, opened the door for us to be reconciled to God and restored back to our original design so that we can enjoy intimacy with God in the new heaven and the new earth forever. The next one, Jesus was raised from the dead. No longer do we need to fear death or separation from God. In 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 16, it says this, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. For those, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ... We have hope in this life only. We are the most miserable of all people. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a man came death, by a man came death, also by a man came resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all will die, but in Christ, all will be made alive. Christ was raised in, from the dead so that we could have hope for a new life when we are resurrected and perfected. He had victory over death. I know it's hard, and because of our humanity, even us sometimes as Christians, we fear, what's going to happen? I don't want to die. I don't really know, but, but, but it's true, and we no longer have to fear death at all. It is simply the passage from one part of our existence to another, which is so much better than this one, we have no idea. So Jesus died and was resurrected so that we no longer had the fear of death. He conquered death, which is a metaphor for separation from God. You know when you were created, you were never really created for death. When, when God created Adam and Eve, they were created to be immortal. But death entered their existence and that separation from God created death in human beings. That penalty for sin is being removed. And we're seeing that by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, where he conquers dead. The next one, Jesus' ascension into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, we see in Hebrews 9.24, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. Instead, he entered heaven itself, now to appear for us as our mediator, in God's presence. For there is only one God and one mediator, it says in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. So Jesus ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. Okay, so what? He became a mediator 
for us. Now, mediator means I am going to be that one between you and God. So I think Jesus is standing at the right hand of God, and God looks at us, and he sees that we're still not perfect, and Jesus says, nope, that's one of ours. And God says, well, I really hate sin. And he sees it in Tim's life, and Jesus says, nope, he's one of ours. His sins have been forgiven. So Jesus stands at the right hand of God as our advocate and our mediator because he has claimed us to be his own and he paid for us and therefore God gave us to him as a gift. It's very important that we have a mediator between God and man because in our sinfulness, even as Christians, we need that buffer. Jesus is performing that service for you right now. As you continue to stand, he stands in your defense and says, nope, I paid for that one. He's mine. And the last one is, Jesus will return to claim his children. So why is that important to me? In John Chapter 14, verse 3, it says this, And I will go and prepare a place for you, but I will come again and will take you myself, to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then in 1 Peter uh, 5, 4, it says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is coming back. We have a message to a lost and dying world. And it is this. Jesus is coming again. And he's going to claim those that are his. And then he's going to judge the rest of the world. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that message. Jesus is coming again. The heavens are going to open up And in his bodily form, he's going to return to earth, and all of those who are his are going back with him. That is the hope that we have. It's easy to be discouraged when we look out into our world through the news or even in the things that we see and experience every day in our lives and understand, we were just talking about this yesterday, maybe we are at the end. The world is awfully wicked and we're discovering new ways every day to be more wicked and we're celebrating that wickedness as if it's good and it says in the end times they're going to be calling sin good and good sin and and pastors are being put in prison for standing up for the word of God and Christians are being persecuted and killed for their faith The world is an evil place and there's only one source of hope and that is the message of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what we have. That is the life-changing message. That is the hope we have for now and later and that should change our lives in the way we think and give us joy to know that the most important things in this life, being reconciled to God and being transformed back into his image, God is doing that in you. Hopefully you understand that. Hopefully you believe it. Hopefully it changes your life. Let's pray. Dear Father, this message is is transforming. It's amazing, and yet I myself have the capacity to take this for granted and, and, and be downcast by the 
tough things in my life and not understand the joy that I should have by just being a child of God, no matter what happens here, they are light and momentary troubles in comparison to what you've already done and what you're going to do. Father, I just pray that you put that, instill it into our hearts, that it gives us a sense of urgency to share this thing, the one important thing, that Jesus Christ has come and he'll save us. To the world that you put us in, to those who need to hear it, both in our families, in our workplaces, in our community, Father, that we'd be a light for you so that we could invite others into the family. We thank you and praise you for making us your children and for what you're going to do even through these dull tools that we are if we just give ourselves to you. So we thank you and praise you, give you all the glory in your precious son's name. Amen.